Coming up on the first in-season episode of Off Air with Joe and Oral. The Dodgers president of baseball operations, Andrew Friedman, joins us and takes us inside how the Mookie Betts deal went down. And of course, we'll have Dave Roberts and he and Andrew both give their take on their head and their heart coming into the Astro series. And we'll do another little deep dive into the sixth inning from Tuesday night, give our thoughts once more. We gave them live, obviously, on the broadcast, but we're going to look back on it and give our thoughts again. Oral's also going to give us his thoughts on Alaska. All that and more (laughs) on the first in-season episode of Off Air. Today's podcast brought to you by Security Benefit, UCLA Health, Q-Cells, and Lucy Pet Foods. And every winning season is built on a strong team, a team committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know that you've got a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. Security Benefit, a proud sponsor of the Dodgers. Dodger fans, we've got some great news. UCLA Health has once again earned the number one position in both California and Los Angeles while jumping up two spots to secure the number four national ranking in annual assessment of hospitals by USA News and World Report. The National Honor Roll is a distinction reserved for only 20 hospitals among 4,500 evaluated, and UCLA Health has appeared on the list for 31 consecutive years. This is a remarkable achievement and only possible because of their commitment to the patients they serve. What does offering you the best care mean for you? Best care means pride. Best care means trust. Best care means that even amid a pandemic, you can wake up each day with the confidence that the top team in California has your back. Thank you for being a part of UCLA Health family and allowing them to take care of you. Visit UCLAHealth.org to learn more about UCLA Health's commitment to your community. Harness unlimited energy from the sun through solar, a sustainable investment for energy independence. Curious to see if solar is worth it for you? Calculate your savings with Q-Cells, the number one solar panel market share leader and official solar partner of the Dodgers. Visit Q-Cells at www.q-cells.us to learn more. 30 years ago, Joey Herrick didn't trust what was available, so he made his own natural pet food, and it became a best-selling brand that people trusted and loved. Now Joey's created a miracle food for his rescue dog, Lucy, that filled with 42 essential nutrients in every single bite. Lucy Pet Foods are great for sensitive stomach, skin, joint, and heart health, and they're made using only the finest ingredients and a whole lot of love. Your dog deserves it, and it's available at Amazon, Chewy, and LucyPetFoods.com. This is the first in-season episode of Off Air. Hit it, Frankie.
Andrew, do you remember the first time you became aware of Mookie Betts? Oh, um, yeah, I remember at the time uh, that the Red Sox drafted him, obviously competing against him directly. You know, you kind of watch a little more closely with the Red Sox and Yankees. Uh, they took him in the fifth round, and we weren't really on him. And so I remember just asking questions about it. And it wasn't because of his ability. It was more that our guy at the time thought he was just going to go to college and it would be a good opportunity for him to go get stronger and wait three years and evaluate at that point. Um, and so it was at that time. And then I kind of watched a little more closely as he went out in the pro ball. And I haven't gone back through that, but my recollection is that he struggled kind of early. And I remember thinking, okay, good, you know, <laughs> Fortunately, we didn't miss one here. And then the following year, he was unbelievable and just really aggressive on pitches in the strike zone, really passive out, you know, pretty good defender at second, you know, good base running metrics. Um, And then at the end of 2011, when Theo left the Red Sox and went to the Cubs, I remember talking to him. Um, and we were talking about, you know, Red Sox players and, you know, just trying to get them to dish some dirt uh, to me on guys that we could kind of target. And he mentioned Mookie as just being absolutely, you know, the guy to, to watch for and just how much he improved kind of after that first year going out, going into that offseason the next year and just felt like the hand-eye, the athlete, the instincts – uh, we're going to make him a really, really good player. So I remember reaching out to the Red Sox then. They knew what they had and immediately kind of stiff-armed me. Uh, but it was around that time that, like, you know, that Mookie Betts infatuation started. Okay, and then, so at the time, Heim Bloom, who becomes the Boston general manager, worked for you in Tampa Bay. He takes the job in Boston on October 25th. How long after that did you first hit him up and say, hey, Let's make a deal. We want Mookie. Um, it was actually better than that. It was before he took the job. <laughs> Talking to him and just providing counsel as he was going through it and going up for interviews. Yeah, I managed to work in there a little bit about <laughs> we had talked to the Red Sox in July and we would be there with open arms once he uh, once he got the job. So you mentioned July. Did you try to trade for Mookie before the deadline last year? We did, um, and they were open to it, but wanted to push pause and see how things went in their series in Tampa. Uh, I think it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think they went in there and swept the race. And after that, said, you know what, we're going to give it a run here over the last two months and you know, kind of shut down talks at that point. We'll probably get into the signing, but before that, what's the bridge you walk over when you watch a guy from afar and then you get to watch him every day? Um, Usually, uh, you end up being kind of disappointed. You've built something up in your head um, about a guy's work ethic and, you know, how much they care. And somehow, someway, I think in our limited time being around Mookie, he even exceeded uh, our expectations on that. You know, during summer camp, uh, you know, I'd come and be around a little bit, and I'd go to my office and do some stuff before we'd get going on the field. And without fail, 
every single day I'm up there doing things and I look out on the field and Mookie's one of the first players out there. And he's on his knees doing drills to activate his hands with George Lombard. He's taking balls at shortstop. He is, you know, doing sprints. He is, you know, taking balls in the outfield, playing things off the wall to appreciate and understand how things come off. Uh, it was just incredible to watch and not surprising with some of the reports we had gotten, but somehow even exceeded that. Through the years with teammates, you know, you see some of that and sometimes you just call it eyewash. It sounds like it's not eyewash with Mookie. It's definitely not. Um, you know, I think for one of the things and I'm sure we'll get into it with the signing, um, it's really difficult to have a lot of conviction about investing this much money in any one player um, in that it's hard to know exactly, you know, how things are going to play out from that point. And, you know, the guys who are playing for the record books or to make it to the hall of fame is one thing. And there's another subset of players who are playing to get paid. And it's on us to kind of discern that, you know, through that uh, distinction and, figure it out and you know from our standpoint and said it at the time of the press conference regardless of how this plays out it's impossible to just have more conviction about that part of it the part of what Mookie can control which is his effort and the work he puts into it we feel as good as we possibly could about that so you're able to pull off the trade with your old buddy Heim Bloom Mookie gets a spring training everything is good You've said that you engage in some extension talks as early as March, but then we all know what happens. The world shuts down. Fans are sitting there, and I know Oral and I are sitting there saying, man, like, are we ever going to see Mookie in a Dodger uniform? Did those kind of dark thoughts go through your head as we went through the summer? Yeah, they definitely did. Um, and on top of just Mookie, you know, this was a team that we were incredibly excited about being able to watch on a daily basis. And so even beyond just would we get to see Mookie in a Dodger uniform, it was, are we going to be able to watch this team go out and compete on a nightly basis? Uh, obviously, they're interconnected, um, but both those thoughts definitely you know, went through my head at times. Was there a moment or a conversation, whether it was with Mookie or with his representatives, where you said, oh my gosh, I think this is actually happening? Yeah, um, Initially, when we started the conversations, um, you know, I think I'm trying to remember the days. I think it was uh, Friday before our press conference mm -hmm. uh, where I wasn't that optimistic. Um, and then by Saturday, I started to feel a little bit more optimistic. And on, on Sunday, I felt like this was going to happen. How so? Like what? In, in an even bigger picture, how do you get a guy to forego free agency and commit the rest of his career to your organization when he's never even played a game there? So, like that question, and then what happens between pessimistic Friday and optimistic Sunday to change it? I mean, I think it was the dialogue, and more just I felt like we were tracking on a trajectory where we'd be able to find some overlap. Um, the part about if he would commit his career. To the Dodgers, that part had been answered, uh, you know, earlier. Even just with them engaging, it was something that we knew he was 
open to in part because, you know, his comments were at every turn. I've been impressed by everything. And he's really connected with RBS and Brandt and Batesy. And, you know, he is a cage rat who loves to talk hitting and dive into all things hitting uh, and has really connected with those guys. Um, you know, he commented to me numerous times during spring training 1.0 uh, just about the talent and the arms and the position players and, you know, winning is really important to him and he felt like he can continue the run of success that we've enjoyed and that was really important to him. Um, so I think we just had a lot of things kind of working in our favor in terms of how he prioritized things that made him more open to making that kind of commitment. You have the relationship that you're building with Mookie and with his agent, and you're going through the talks. At what time you're not making this decision on your own, there is ownership that has to be involved. And so when does ownership get involved, or do they give you a green light really early on to make a decision like this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, in early March, we had extensive and kind of in-depth internal conversations about it and got to the point where, you know, we felt comfortable with pursuing it, uh, in an aggressive way. And we made an offer and then they countered, I think the morning of the Rudy Gobert, uh, situation where like the world kind of shut down Mm -hmm. thereafter. Um, and so at that point, you know, there was a decent, gap but something that it would have been interesting to see if we could have worked through at that time thought we could um but wasn't sure uh and then you know, obviously talks were dormant through all of this and not really knowing what the world was going to look like um and so once we got summer camp started we just wanted to get a feel for you know the intake testing and the testing every two days and whether we felt like this was going to work or not. And as we started to gain confidence in us being able to kind of pull this off, we kind of dusted it off and started having those conversations again. And then once I talked to the agent, Steve Beltman and got some feedback there, uh, we talked through it again and kind of came up with, you know, how we wanted to kind of proceed through it. And so the deal gets done. I know you wear the wins and losses really hard during the real season. Uh, Unfortunately, do you... I don't wear the wins very well. Okay, well, you, <laughs> well, you wear the losses. Did you allow yourself to wear this win, signing Mookie Betts? What was that night like at the Friedman House? Or was the season that close where you didn't even have time to do that? Yeah, it, it was. there were so many other things going on as well. and Sleep was in short order, just mm-hmm. trying to – get this wrapped up. You know, it was important to Mookie to have this wrapped up by opening day, which we totally understood. Uh, so it obviously provided a very tight timeline. And so, you know, I think the not, the day of the press conference that night, just appreciating that opening day was on the horizon for the most part, all of our conversations about who was making the roster was done. There was definitely an exhale uh, definite excitement as much as I could muster with as tired as I was and had a good night at home with what, with Robin and the kids and went to bed early, which is unusual for me. But that was my way of kind of, that was my celebration. 
So you get this signing done before summer camp's over and he's played his first game in a Dodger uniform. You've been through the, the lockdown and now guys are arriving at summer camp. What was it like to, to all of a sudden put eyes on your roster that you were so excited about? Yeah, I mean, we felt as good and as confident as we possibly could in March. Um, and it was what made all of it so deflating on just the baseball side of things for this uh you know, kind of stop. Obviously, there are a lot more deflating and uh, troubling things that have played out, but just isolating it to the baseball side, it was, you know, what made it so deflating. And so to be able to, you know, kind of get the band back together and, um, you know, kind of pick up where we left off in mid March was something that, you know, went through periods kind of riding that roller coaster in March, April, May, and June where we weren't sure if that was going to happen. So uh, there was definite excitement uh, and it was really shared. Like everybody that was coming in, you know, a number of guys had been here uh, in advance of summer camp, but as guys started rolling back into town and started to get workouts put together, uh, you know, it kind of picked up exactly where we were in that mid-March, which as talented of a roster as we are, it was an extremely connected group. Uh, young players, veteran players, uh, and really just picked up where we left off. We're about a week into the season now. Are you uh, 2.7 times more miserable to be around after a loss for Robin in a 60-game season? <laughs> the, the existential question was if that was possible. So going into <laughs> okay. the season was, is there 2.7 times more in you after a loss? <laughs> And I don't think there is. Okay, you've maxed out. I think it was that I was such a peak performer before. Uh, In your misery, sure. Exactly. The multiple isn't really having too much of an effect. We are recording this uh, Wednesday before the second game against the Astros. Um, Is it hard to believe that after this game today, 10% of the season is over? Yeah, my mind did not. (laughs) Connected two and two, uh, that's great. What does the whole thing mean for uh, – you've explained to me before, first 50 games or so you evaluate what you got. Next 50 games or so you kind of evaluate the market, how you can address what you need, and then you sprint to the finish. How about now, 30 games and then the deadline and then 30 games and you're done. What does the trade deadline look like? No clue. Uh, I'm really interested to see um, – you know, in a lot of ways, it feels tricky to be trading guys right now and having them fly cross country and uh, just logistically it feels hard. But it also will matter a lot what the environment is at that time and the likelihood of being able to finish that season, of being able to finish the season. We'll obviously know a lot more in the coming weeks and we're optimistic, but, you know, our future selves are going to know a lot more about that than we do now, uh, as well as the expanded playoffs. And there are going to be a lot more teams that feel like they have a chance, um, which will matter a lot as well. And so you could get me to argue either side of there's going to be a lot of activity at the end of August, or there's going to be very little. And I'm not sure of the answer, but I can argue either side right now. What does it do to the way – what does the 60-game season do to the way you have to evaluate 
what's going on in your own team? I mean, does it? Do you have to be careful not to overreact, or does it necessitate some overreaction and some quicker hooks in terms of playing time? It's a good question. I'm not sure I fully wrap my arms around it. Um, Maybe we won't. Maybe you won't. Yeah. And so it's really a take it day by day and to make sure that we're at least checking ourselves up on things that it's not an overreaction Uh, and conversely checking ourselves up that we're not just being more patient than we should be. And I think like everything, it gets down to each specific player and what the challenges are at that time and how confident we are of them being able to come through that. But, you know, there is definitely a lot of randomness that plays out in baseball and sequencing really matters of how you, you know, you can put an inning together where you have, you know, I'm just making this up, but a hit, a walk, you know, a strikeout, a ground ball to the second baseman, a double, and they can equal very different number of runs scored that inning. And so there's a lot of things that can play out that we need to, you know, appreciate, you know, what our true talent is, what we feel like will kind of happen over the next week or two, which is kind of what we always have to do. Um, And a lot of that gets to, you know, where they are relative to where we expect them to be and what those challenges are. Is it a breaking ball that's really backed up on a guy? Do we feel like we can get that feel back? Uh, And, you know, position player, you know, last night was a great example of the number of hard hit balls that we had that resulted in outs that just so happened to be because of the, the, the direction, the spray direction they were hit, right. as opposed to things could have been broken open much earlier. Conversely, in that fifth inning or fourth inning, fourth, fifth, where we scored all the runs, you know, a lot of those were ground ball hits that had they just been a little bit over the side, could have been ending any double plus. And so, uh, you know, baseball is great and frustrating both at the same time because of that. And this is just going to amplify all of that just a little bit more. The skipper Dave Roberts said coming into game one in Houston that he saw a intensified discipline and focus from the team. Can you take us inside your head or your heart coming into the Houston series? I'm glad you broke out head and heart because they were two very different. (laughs) Um, Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I've really kind of struggled, um, with how to just stay looking forward. Uh, My head knows it's absolutely the right thing to do. And any energy kind of spent thinking about 2017, it's just wasted. Like there's literally nothing we can do about it right now. Uh, So my head definitely knows that. And so it's kind of the, the angel and the, and the devil on both shoulders kind of bickering back and forth. Uh, you know, the heart obviously will, uh, you know, be impacted and affected forever. And it just doesn't do much good to heighten these games any more than when you're just playing a really good team uh, in that it's just not productive. And so 
my head keeps having to remind my heart of that and keep me kind of focused down that track. So you're watching that sixth inning, Joe Kelly pitching. What were your emotions watching that inning? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Joe has a lot of strengths as a pitcher. Um, I would say being able to execute a pitch exactly where he wants to is not one of them. And I think it also plays to his advantage as well, just kind of the effective wildness. And, um, you know, there wasn't any conversation internally about let's go into Houston and show them. I mean, I think society at large has done a pretty good job of speaking pretty loudly about the Astros and what they did in 2017. You know, we don't feel the need to police the matter. MLB has handled it. More importantly, people around the country have, you know, spoken and spoken loudly. And so, you know, we don't feel a need to come in and and police it any further ourselves. Um, You know, if anything, again, getting back to, you know, kind of the head and heart, the way to pay them back is to go beat them and to win baseball games that have a negative effect on their season and a positive effect on our season. And so that is where I believe everyone's head to be. Um, And like the Joe Kelly losing the curveball over Correa, like, come on, like there's no way that was intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I, it probably escalated a little bit more than I expected it to watching it live. Um, Which, you know, now hearing some stories about what was said between those two guys during the at bat, you know, I kind of understand that the bench is clearing that's not helpful for anybody there's only downside that comes with that i'm sure the astros don't want players suspended we definitely do not want players suspended um because that's a way for what happened in 2017 to negatively affect what's happening in 2020 which doesn't make any sense right Say we get through this whole thing, these 60 games get played safely, we get to October, winning the division hasn't been a problem. But what has to be different for the Dodgers when October gets here to get the outcome that everybody wants? I know you've spent every waking hour trying to answer that question. Yeah, I mean, I think as much as we can kind of try to time up us peaking going into October, um and not kind of limping in as much as we can control of that is obviously really helpful. There is definitely an element of randomness that happens in any three game series or any five game series. And so that matters as you look at a series during the year, there's just not that same magnified, you know, look at a three game series in the middle of the season as there is a playoff series uh, for good reason. Uh, But so there's definitely that, that being said, there's also an element, a real element of talent that matters. And so that's the part that we can control and having as talented and diverse of a team as we can in terms of the ability to just match up with different types of lineups and different types of pitchers. Um, you know, we feel like we'll be in a really good spot 
when it comes to that. Andrew, you and I have talked about, you know, the marathon and the sprint. And no matter if we have a 60-game season now, so we have a sprint and a sprint when you get into the playoffs. Do you believe that there's a different style of baseball that can be played in the playoffs where you can maybe move away from some tendencies to try and win an inning or win a game with something you rarely don't do? Yeah. I mean, I think being hard to game plan for, I think, is an, an, an advantage in the regular season and obviously in the postseason, postseason being way more important. Um, and I think that speaks to, you know, having a diversified roster with different looks. Um, obviously, in a three-game or five-game series, uh, even the seven-game series, um, I think elite players have more of a chance to, you know, impact that series than they do over the course of 162 with just the way things move around. And, um, you know, it, it's tricky. I mean, obviously in 2018, Steve Pierce was the World Series MVP, and we had done a pretty good job of holding down, you know, their big boys, you know, with JD and Mookie and Xander and, you know, the guys that we were really keying in on to, to control. And so that speaks to having depth on a team to be able to have someone like that emerge and, and do what he did. Um, so it's one of those topics that, and we've had these conversations a lot. There isn't a clear answer to me in that if someone wants to role play and take the side of one argument, I can easily argue the other side. Mm-hmm. And then you can flip it and have me, advocate for one side and I can easily do that as well. There's so much that goes on in any one postseason game that you can, you know, go back and look at and can explain a lot of, you know, ball that's hit 110 miles an hour at a great angle that happens to be right at the right fielder. Whereas the ball that just gets in off the, you know, hands, it's like fisted out into short right field with some side spin that ends up scoring a guy from first and all those things compounding and the effect it can have on a game being very real. My generation, you know, and I don't know where this sits with this generation because I'm not in the locker room, but my generation was this guy's going to be the same player for the whole year because he knows he's going to hit 25 and drive in 90 with that swing and that approach. And so there's a way to pitch him in the regular season and then – but who are the champions that can switch and you know beat the shift with a bunt or do something slightly different that's not in their normal pattern? And I think that's where I'm looking at coaching the roster and understanding with the players that, guys, we can surprise people in certain places at certain times when we get to the playoffs. I love that thought. Um, I totally agree. And I think it's an area, especially offensively, that we haven't adapted enough from regular season thought process mode to postseason, And it's something that I know RVS and Brandt and Batesy talked about a lot going into the postseason last year. It's not the easiest message to have land and it takes a leap of faith. It's not something you can just go one plus one equals two. It requires some faith. And I think that trust is being built up more and more and more. And it's something that I think Mookie will really help as well, kind of help JT, you know, kind of push. Um, And 
I do think it's an important to kind of bifurcate your thought process, regular season, postseason. Andrew, we've appreciated this so much. We're going to have more opportunities to do this as uh, the weeks and the months and the years go on. We want to make sure we get you back this winter during the offseason. We want to do a deep dive into your background in, in this industry and in baseball. We may find some dark, dark secrets, but we want to do that once we have a little more time for that, if you're willing. Yeah, you, you definitely will. Um, I'm not sure what they are <laughs> yet, but you definitely will. I'm just right. glad I only made the cut, you know, naively. <laughs> When you guys started, I offered, hey, anytime you guys want me to come on, I just didn't realize that the B team was going to take this long to get to. But, hey, I'm just thrilled to be on and just took it one day at a time and couldn't be more excited to have joined uh, the prestigious group that is the Joe and Oral podcast. Joe, um, I think we do the off-season one and then promise a dinner at, like, Hippo or someplace. And yeah. Take he yeah, and Robin we, out. We're, we're there you go. That was now. You saw through it. Yeah, well done. You are a good negotiator. Andrew, thank you. Thank you. Good luck uh, over the coming weeks, and we'll talk soon. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, big guy. All right, so our first in-season visit with a skipper, Dave Roberts. Dave, it's good to talk to you. What uh, What's the best thing you saw this week? The best thing I saw this week was uh, this uh, Houston Astros ballpark. Um, I don't know the name of it. They keep changing um, but, uh, it's kind of where the scene of the crime. And so, uh, so just to, I mean, and, and to put all joking aside, just to kind of get back on the road and to see another ballpark, to see that we are playing baseball and we did make a road trip. And, uh, so that was a good thing for me, Joe, um, the emotional release a little bit from the sixth inning in 2017. And then the emotional release of having outdoor dining in Pasadena, going to a Royal chop house and the Smitty's and a new restaurant called Anaya's was good to, to have the good and the bad kind of released. Yeah. For me, uh, just, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, but best thing I saw was how seamless our production team made everything us calling the game from Dodger stadium where the game was going on in Houston, uh, we had concerns about how tough it would be, what it would be like, but, man, our production crew is second to none. Dave, I want to follow up on your best thing this week. I guess let's get right into it. First of all, the travel part of it, how weird was the travel and how weird has it been in the hotel and around a road ballpark? Um, it, it, it was weird um, and, and different. I, I think that overall – um, there's a lot of instruction direction on how we need to, you know, act responsibly. And so getting food packed individually in bags, uh, as we board the plane and sitting like a snake zigzag throughout and, you know, used, I'm used to seeing media, seeing you guys on flights and then there's, it's kind of empty in that sense. Um, there's a lot of open seats. Guys are wearing masks on the plane. Uh, there's no cards being played. Um, so, and then also even last night, I kind of went out of my room to go get my bag or something. And, you know, there's nobody in the lobby doing anything. The players are really adhering. No one, I talked to uh, Ron Porterfield, no one this morning was out getting coffee and just guys are doing their thing. So it's, that's good in that sense. You know, at home, you were at Dodger stadium for summer camp. You're at home for the first homestand and the inner squad games, uh, must have been some rhythm there, but all of a sudden, is there better rhythm today and the second day in Houston than there was the first day in the plane flight? Yeah, I, I think so. We did get into a rhythm, you know, at home. 
Um, I think guys are starting to get over it a little bit to then to get ready for this season. And, you know, this is, you know, Kenley, I talked to Kenley yesterday and he's like, man, I could have been in tears leaving my family. And a couple other guys share that same sentiment because we've spent so much time with our families, you know, throughout quarantine. And now we obviously have a job to do. So, um, which is obviously good. Um, but yeah, the rhythm of we're, we're not there yet. You know, it's one city, then we're going to head to Arizona tonight. Um, but Scott Akasaki, our traveling secretary has just been awesome with all the details, logistics. Um, our training staff has done a great job. And most importantly, the players are listening because they understand that no one's immune to this. And, you know, this outbreak in Miami, and I don't want to dig too deep on it, but whether it's an organization, it's an individual player, you know, it, it's, it can affect the team, the, the industry itself. So we all got to kind of be responsible. We need to have Akasaki on the podcast, don't we? He'd be an interesting guest. He would be an interesting guest because I think that, you know, all the text threads, the email threads, um, kind of being the liaison for everybody so the players, coaches understand what's going on. And also he's got to deal with, you know, flight attendants and, and charters and kind of manage that hotel. So it certainly would be an interesting, you know, behind the curtain look. It's different playing the Astros, right? It's different than a normal series. Is that true? It is. It is. And I, and you guys know, I, I try to talk, and I do believe that every game still has the same importance. It's still a win, and this year it's 2.7 wins um, per win. But when you have the history that we have, and obviously what transpired over the winter, um, they were proven guilty by Major League Baseball with the fines handed down. Um, so we can speak to that, obviously. But yeah, there was a different aura yesterday. There's always music playing before games and guys are kind of doing their pregame. But then there's some kind of like fun focus to get ready for the game. But last night it was very quiet. And even early on, we were swinging the bats well. I thought Walker came out with some really good intent. Swinging the bats well, didn't get anything to show for it. But we were determined last night and obviously it kind of kind of came to a head a little bit when uh, Joe Kelly took them out. Same question for Andrew, but for you, um, what was your head like and your heart like coming into this series? Uh, my head was, we need to get off this two-game snide, schneid and uh, win a baseball game against a good ball club at their place. Uh, my heart was saying, I want to beat the crap out of this team. Uh, <laughs> and, and, win two games um, yeah. because of obviously what, what transpired and also to get our team going. You mentioned the sixth inning uh, on Tuesday night with Joe Kelly. I don't know if Joe Kelly's ever going to have to buy a, a drink himself again once bars open back up in Los Angeles. What can you tell us about your take on what went down? I, I didn't expect anything because, you know, you I've talked about just winning, playing to win, and whatever we can do that's helpful to winning, I'm all in. Um, Joe fell behind three and oh, lost a pitch arm side, uh, to Bregman. And, um, so he takes his base. It, the one to Correa was a breaking ball. So I don't know. I don't think there was intent. You know, that's maybe a better question for Joe. He said there wasn't, um, then he throws over three, four times to Bregman. I don't know if he's trying to hit him in the rib. I have no idea. Really. Joe kind of <laughs> Joe does his own thing. That's the beauty of Joe Kelly. Um, so that's kind of it. But I do know that there was chirping, you know, from the other dugout even before that. So that certainly didn't help the situation. 
Uh, Oral said on the broadcast that he used to do that. He used to try to hit guys in the ribs once they became base runners. Anybody try to do that to you when you were a base runner, Dave? No, they didn't try to do that, but but I was very victim, fell victim to the hard tag. So whether I came in diving all the time, (laughs) and so they would like just hammer me with the tags, those big first basemen, just hammer me, hammer me. And then um, Maury Wills used to tell me a story when he used to play the Giants. When he used to go in and he would go, if he would go in standing up, that first baseman would just slap that tag on his legs and bruise his legs. Um, but I was guilty of that. Never the, uh, the the throw over trying to get me in the ribs, though. How about the drag bunt possible contact that going down first, or at least there's a conversation when you both arrive at first? Oh, well, I have a drag bunt against Randy Johnson's story where I try to drag bunt against him. And I got fair warning that if you bunt against Randy Johnson, he's going to drill you in the ribs. Try to bunt, goes foul, opening day. Oh, no. And then I go back to the box, <laughs> and I swear his eyes were radar locked on my ribs, next pitch right in the ribs. So that was the old school stuff. You know, the Nolan Ryan walking to the third baseline when the oppositions are there and looking at the dugout, wiping the line, saying, hey, this is just your warning. No bunting on me. Um, but – I, those are things that I love, you know, guys taking big swings in the batter's box and um, Bob Gibson brushing them over saying, hey, man, you got the inside part of the plate. The outside part of the plate is mine. You take a swing and follow the plate. You're going to get dropped. So that's some of the fun stuff that I used to love. Drysdale used to watch a guy dig out the batter's box back in the day because the fields weren't manicured the same way they are now. And he'd say, keep digging. I'm going to bury you in that hole. <laughs> those are those are things that. You know, that's the stuff that as a baseball fan coming up, you learn those little idiosyncrasies about the game. And, and but now it's kind of the, there's no unwritten rules. People are sensitive. So it's just kind of it is kind of the times um, you've just got to continue to evolve. 1984, my first year in the big leagues, uh, I'm locked into a shutout zero zero with Nolan Ryan about the fifth inning. And uh, I go to drag bunt. It was part of my offensive game. And I did not know Rick Monday or any of the Jerry Royce, the veterans did not tell me that you don't drag bunt off of Nolan Ryan, even as the pitcher. And the next pitch was right between my eyes. And I was so lucky to get out of the way. And I was told when I got back to the bench that you might not want to do that anymore. It's so, crazy. Yeah. And I remember in a, in a uh, alumni game when I was at UCLA, I was a sophomore and Tim Leary was on the mound and he was getting ready for his big league season. And my first at bat, I tried to bunt for a hit and uh, I pulled it back. It was a ball neck. Next pitch was a neck ball. And so <laughs> in an inner squad game and he's not even on the team. Yeah, alumni game. I'm 19 years old. I'm trying to play my game. I don't know the etiquette of an alumni game <laughs> way of playing. Amazing. Uh, just one more thing on Joe Kelly. We heard last year, and I'm sure you heard the same thing, about how much Boston fans loved Joe and how much the clubhouse loved him. Joe Kelly got booed his first homestand here last year, and I don't know if the fan base ever came around to truly embracing him, but I feel like we saw something in his personality on Tuesday night that has always been there that we just hadn't seen yet. Would you agree that that was a snapshot into who Joe really is? Absolutely. And this guy is tough. And um, yeah, I, I think he got a he got a tough, you know, coming into as a Dodger coming home and didn't pitch well, you know, the first month, month and a half and it wasn't received well, which I get. Um, but to show his toughness, 
is how we responded to that in itself. You know, when you're taking a mound and you're getting booed at home, that's not easy for anybody. And he didn't fold. He continued to pitch and pitch well for us. Um, but yeah, the fans in Boston love him. He doesn't run from a fight. Uh, he protects his teammates. And uh, if he thinks that something needs to be done, he'll, he'll do it. Um, so that is certainly a snapshot. Joe, when you get to know him, this guy is, uh, he's got a loose screw though. Um, and I say that in the most <laughs> endearing way, uh, but we, we love him to know him is to love him, but he uh, marches to his own drum. He's part of a bullpen that has been really, really good so far. It has. And, you know, it, it's, it's funny is that the industry is always trying to poke holes in every team's bullpen and call it as a weakness because when they don't have a good day, Typically, the team loses, um, but I've said it from day one. I, I believe that our pen is a position of strength. There's a lot of depth, um, which you saw from Fergie last night, Gratterall the first couple times, trying the first couple times. Kenley's velocity is not up, but we talked about that. The characteristics just need to be there. Um, so I, I think it's been really good. We got Alexander back, so it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Dave, we know you love to grind and you love the daily and the coach of up the guys. You know, you don't even feel like a manager all the time. You're, you're, you're a coach still every day. And it's got to be rewarding when you have a chat with somebody and you get both things you were looking for. When you had the characteristic chat with Kenley, I want to tell you last night he was 91, 92 with the cutter also. Andy had the right movement. So that's got to be rewarding. It is rewarding. And with Kenley, I know I have trust. Um, you know, I kind of look at myself as a second father to him, and I think he feels the same way. So it's a unique relationship, and um, he's very sensitive. He's very tough. He's a tough competitor, and I just wanted to take something off his plate because I think that, you know, guys are in tune with everything that's said about him nowadays, and so when you're trying to manufacture velocity, obviously, Oral, you know, you start getting out of delivery, and then you're in a tough spot where you don't got the velocity, you don't got the characteristics and you're getting hit. So I think to take that off his plate, he felt good about it. We feel good about it. And I do think we're going to see an even better Kenley this year. How did that come to be Dave, that, that you two became so close? Um, um, I think it's ironic where sometimes when you give somebody tough love and you demand something from them, I think you earn that respect. And I think early on my first year, you know, Kenley talked about being a leader of the bullpen, but in my opinion, I just felt that there were things that he was not doing consistently daily to warrant being a leader. And I just don't think a role or service time uh, guarantees you, you uh, uh, being a leader in a clubhouse. So um, I challenged him on many different things and um, I think he respected that honesty. And from that point on, we just kind of continue to build and build a better relationship. Players, people love having a mirror in their life. You know, they love having somebody that they can get a true read of who they are. When I developed a resume in the big leagues, every team or every year when I went into the locker room, I went to three people who were semi in charge. Maybe you're my manager, maybe my pitching coach, maybe the strength conditioning guy. And I said, I know who you think I am, but you have to treat me like a rookie. I want the feedback like I'm a rookie because I don't want my resume to ever get in the way of something I'm getting off on a tangent. And I think that's probably what Kenley is loving about you. Yeah. And, and I, and I appreciate that. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Oh, but, but you doing that, initiating that 
is I think it's rare. I mean, I, I wish, in, in, you know, in theory, you'd have every player want that for themselves, but people don't like criticism and whether it's constructive or, or you know, non-constructive. Um, I didn't ever always look like it. It was going to be criticism. Like I said to my strength. No, that's coach, right. Look, there are days I'm going to come in this weight room and I don't want to really do what you want me to do, or I'm not going to look at my card and give it everything. So you're allowed to needle me. You're allowed to say, let's go. You're allowed to say you're dragging. I'm giving you permission to hammer me. Yeah. I love that because everyone in that room, everyone in this room right now wants nothing but the success for each individual player and for the Dodgers to win a championship. So once you understand that, um, anything that comes from anyone's mouth, uh, whether it's support, it's, it's uh, hard love, tough love, it should be received the right way. And that's kind of what we have right now with our guys, which I'm very proud of. You're looking ahead over the next week. You continue the road trip, Arizona and San Diego, the San Diego team. We know it's really talented and off to a good start and a shortened season they're going to start to gain some swagger and become really, really dangerous, don't you think? They are. They are. Um, you know, first we got Arizona, and Robbie Ray has given us fits, but, um, and I really like the way they play the game. You know, their position players are, there's a lot of switch bats in there, and they're gritty and tough. Uh, they can catch the baseball, but San Diego, they can really pitch. I, I think that people talk about um, Patis and Machado, but I'll tell you right now, when you're talking about what Paddock did as a rookie, um, they got Garrett Richards back. Uh, Lamette is back healthy. I mean, they've got some big arms. We're going to see all three of those guys. And so now you put that with some young uh, position players. Um, it, it's And you said it. They're starting to get a little bit of swagger. So it'll be interesting as we go down to Petco. Let's uh, move on to our top four this week. We're going to do top four baseball movies. I guess a little bit in honor of the fact you guys are holed up in your hotel rooms all day until you get to the ballpark. Maybe you flip one of these on. Dave, you give us your uh, top four baseball movies first. Okay. Uh, my fourth, number four, um, takes me back to when I was a young kid uh, in my Little League uniform, sleeping in my Little League uniform before opening day. The Bad News Bears. Um, <laughs> I mean, come on. Kelly Lake, uh, the the little blonde kid that wanted to fight everybody that, you know, um, and it's like some of the stuff that you, uh, that I'm sure they were saying can't be said now. And it's funny. I wanted to show my kids a long time ago. Yeah. You got to watch the bad news bears and some of the language was like, Oh, maybe not. <laughs> um, number three, major league. I love major league Joe boo. Um, just all that <laughs> stuff. It was just, a, I love the comedy um Willie Mays Hayes uh, it, it was great uh Bull Durham number two I spent five years in the minors and so the stories the way uh they can tell a story it, it was just it was really really well done so I can certainly relate to Crash Davis uh number one Field of Dreams I mean come on um James Earl Jones that voice um it's like if you build it they will come and it's like I just got goosebumps every time I see that movie. Oral? I'll start at the bottom, but it's not at the bottom. It's a league of their own. I just, I love the comedy, but I loved also the education about the women's league and everything that they went through. And it really led me to a place of, of kind of studying them a little bit. So that was a lot of fun to have that opened up. Uh, I went, not Bad News Bears, Doc, but I went Sandlot. 
and uh, nice sandlot was just a, a it, it just warms my heart the kind jet. of i was a yeah benny the jet mm-hmm. yeah i was big i was a big time neighborhood baseball player i was a big time you know go down to the field and see who's there see pick up sides that kind of stuff so that was it and and then i get into my crying ones uh like you doc oh. goosebumps uh, the natural and roy hobbs uh, the swing, the bat, you know, the the bleeding in the side, the love story there, and just everything that Robert Redford brought to that screen. And then, you know, I've got to go feel the dreams with you, Doc. You nice. know, Ray, people will come. They will come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. People Ooh. will come, Ray. The one constant thing of all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Mm-hmm. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been a race bike, like a blackboard rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time, this field, this game. It's part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and that could be good again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Wow. That's that's beautiful. I love it. I, I do my... um. When I do my book at some point in time, Oral, you're gonna do the uh, you're gonna do the voice for my audio. <laughs> nice, <laughs> I appreciate it. I don't feel like I can follow that up with some BS top four. Uh, so I'm quickly gonna get to my number one. Number four for me is 42, as I've obviously become the Dodger guy that has become more special to me. Number three, Bull Durham. Same reason as you, Doc, having experienced the minors, being able to relate to a lot of what you see in there. Number two, Sandlot, for the same reasons you mentioned, Oral. And then I think we have our first consensus top pick on the podcast here on episode 17. My number one is Field of Dreams. And it just moved even higher up listening to that uh, recited by you, Oral. Good work, man. Bringing tears and emotion to all of us. Especially what the country and baseball is going through right now. We need baseball badly. Doc, keep it rolling, my man. Great to talk to you. All right, fellas. Uh, Good seeing you guys. Good talking to you guys. And I'll talk to you next week. See you, Skip. All right, man. So we were able to kind of give our thoughts live as the sixth inning went down the other night. Dave Roberts and Andrew Freeman, we're so thankful to them for giving their thoughts, too. They obviously can't totally share what may be on their minds. We're in a little different spot. Uh, Your take now looking back on what we experienced live in the sixth inning Tuesday night with Joe Kelly. It's one thing to be the manager, give your take. It's another thing to be the president of baseball operations and give your take. It's another thing to be the pitcher that threw the ball or the guy that received and thought he was the target. Um, I think the thing that set it off the most was not the pitches as much it was the verbal assaults back and forth once it kind of opened the can of worms. And I think that's when you saw the emotions You've got one team that's saying probably nothing's going to happen. We're not going to look for revenge. We're just going to beat them, and that'll be our revenge. you got another team coming into a game going, something might happen. We need to be ready. And I think both nerve endings were very close to the surface. And I think Joe Kelly is the type of pitcher with the type of personality and stuff that could take those emotions from just under the skin to just over the skin. Uh, Social media has gone crazy in love for Joe Kelly. People are talking about wanting to erect a statue of him, uh, hoping that a a Mookie Betts type deal is coming his way. Did you feel like you learned anything about Joe Kelly watching that or maybe had some things affirmed that you thought about him or had heard about him? 
Well, I've gotten to know Joe because I get to be in uniform in spring training, and it hasn't been that many spring trainings when he is around, and I was there in 1.0, not there in summer camp 2.0. But uh, I would say that what I learned about Joe Kelly was true from his past, and I got to see it in a Dodger uniform. And I thought it was, uh, for me as an ex-pitcher and an ex-teammate, I thought it was a very special moment for him in a Dodger uniform. What are you most looking forward to in this next week, buddy? Uh, do I have to do the week? Because I was kind of running out of things to say. So I said my birthday, September 16th, the World Series parade in November, okay. and Christmas. Those are the next things I'm looking forward to right now. It's very simplistic <laughs> and also overcomplicating the question. You don't have anything. How about, how about, how about this? We're gonna, um, I'm going to remind you that Sunday after we do the 1 o'clock game, we're going to get together over at the Davis house, socially oh, distance. Right. I forgot about that. But Again, yeah, I you and Dana that. coming over, going to cook some dinner, maybe yeah. make you some old fashions. Oh. And those old fashions are like the best. Yeah. We didn't tell people, but I made them for you. The famous old fashioned from Dennis down the street. Am I lying? Yeah. Is it not the greatest old fashioned ever? It is. And you know what? That's not a bad brand if he goes commercial. This is Dennis down the street. <laughs> Dennis down the street, old fashioned. Uh, Dennis, so we, I asked him, I said, Dennis, I talked about it on the podcast, and a lot of people are asking if I can give the recipe, and I, I didn't want to do that without your permission. And he said, Oh, yeah, no, no, go ahead. It's, it's fine. You know, um, I thought about, thought about maybe trying to market it and, and turn it into a business someday, but no, you, you can share it. I said, Dennis, mm-hmm. I don't have to share it, man. But now, no. You're going to get knocked out of that door in, in that company. Days. Yeah, you and me, buddy. If it was that go good, I would invest in that company. Dennis, are you ready to enter into a partnership with Oral Hershiser and your neighbor we, Joe? We can bring him on as a guest. That'll cement it. Stun deal. Um, <laughs> this has been a fun first week being back to baseball, hadn't it? Yeah. Having baseball, as odd as it is, people ask me, what's it like to be at the stadium and do the game with the guys there but no fans? And I said, it's good, but it's odd. Yeah. It's kind of like being in Alaska and being a woman. They say that there's nine men for every woman. And they say, Really? <laughs> yeah. What? So they say the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> well, on that note, I think I love you still. <laughs> I still love you too. Yeah, all right. <laughs>